0: At Snarky Faith, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney.
1: Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney. Snarky Faith is radio for the spiritually disenfranchised. And if you've had enough of the insanity of Christianity, you have come to the right place. Here at Snarky Faith, we're all about finding a sane faith, grounded in reality, and working to make the world a better place in tangible ways. This is not a zone for spiritual escapism, Sunday school answers, or Christianese. We're here to call out religious BS and look for better ways forward. If you can handle your conversations about faith with copious amounts of
0: sarcasm
1: and also a little bit of then you've come to the right place. Welcome home. On today's show, we're going to be talking about Christian witness. What does it really mean anymore in America for Christians to have a witness? We'll be digging into that. But before we descend into the snark, just a few quick bits of housekeeping. This broadcast and all past podcasts can be found at www.snarkyfaith.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube. We're there and we're everywhere. Just look for Snarky Faith. If you'd like this show, make sure to subscribe. And if you're feeling particularly generous, drop a review over on iTunes too. It helps get the word out to new listeners and I'll personally appreciate it. And if you want to interact more with the show, you can find me on the Snarky Faith page on Facebook or you can drop me a line at questions at snarkyfaith.com. There's even a snarky hotline. If you want to leave a message that, most likely, we'll end up on the air. The number for that is 919-525-1570. That's right. The snarky hotline is 919-525-1570. Now, we've got a packed show today, so without further ado, we're going to hop, head in right away, no further delay, into the Christian Crazy of the Week! Claude.
2: The Lord is my
1: shepherd. he
2: knows what I
3: want.
1: So as we step into the Christian crazy, just wanting to tell you, you're doing like a little bit of a check-in on how the pastors and prophets are doing. Right now, the answer would be not so good. Not great. So it's really fun for us. So hold on. Before you go on thinking... That Donald Trump got impeached for a second time, Pastor Steve Vaughn has got a word for you. It's completely incorrect, but I love, I love how he sells it, and I love the passion. So yeah, if you're going to lie, sell it. The president's never been impeached, not going to be
3: impeached, and just because he was indicted in the House today means absolutely nothing nothing without a trial in the Senate. Then he would have to be convicted in the Senate for him to be an impeached president. It's totally unfair to say he's impeached when he's not had his trial yet. So I need you to become truth lovers and spread the truth for me, everybody. Let everybody know that no, our president is not impeached. He's never been impeached. And he never will be impeached.
1: I don't know. I don't know what kind of rhetoric. Like, what what does this give to his followers? When you are telling them things that it's just wordplay, but it's even incorrect wordplay. He has been impeached. He's been twice impeached. Because we all know that, yes, the act of impeaching a president is what has happened. He has not been convicted of it yet. Sure. But he's definitely been impeached. Twice. Cause we're so tired of winning already. So tired of it. Oh, so tired. Almost 400,000 dead. And Oh, are we tired of winning? Oh, yes. Anyone watching the national championship game Mm, between Ohio state and Alabama? Anyone? Did anyone realize God was speaking? God was speaking during it. Come on, people. Come on, people. Pastor Johnny Enlow is going to tell you that God was being a little bit of a tricky bitch when he kind of threw in his snaky little message during the change. It was
0: 52 to 24. But what was amazing, I looked on the screen, and they they listed Ohio State score first, and then they listed the, the score of Alabama Crimson Tide. And then actually when I looked in the morning on, I think ESPN, they did it the same way. Seems unusual. Usually you put the team with the higher score first and the other score afterwards, but the way that looks and the way it came out, I'll put this up right now. For
1: you non-sport fans out there, what happens during a game, generally the visiting team is the first score. The home team is the second score in the game. That's what you're going to see on the screen and so Johnny, 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 Johnny is kind of pulling stuff out of his ass right here. But it's amazing how convicted he is about it. Come on. You can find God speaking anywhere in numbers. Just make him bend to your will. That's the word of God. It was a 24.
0: Can you see that? Okay, Steve. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. 24, wow. 52. And then right in the middle, of that is kind of covert a forty-five. So it's a forty-five with a two on either side. And I went, "Ooh!" I kind of went that even as I was watching it. There is wow. it, two terms. Forty-five was not put in there for one term. He was put in there for two terms. It's a confirmation on either side. There's a two on either side. Amazing. What twenty-two means as well. We won't, you know, we don't. We don't want to dizzy people with numbers. Oh, you
1: don't want to dizzy people with numbers with four digits. That's. <laughs> I've already free four. Uh, I've already What? What were we talking about? I'm so dizzy, I don't even What? What is this load of horse shit? If anyone wonders how do conspiracy theories begin, you just saw it. You just saw it. Someone connecting something and saying, wow, look at this. It must be true, cause. Yeah, numbers. There's numbers everywhere. Let's look at Powerball. Let's look at phone numbers. We can make anything turn into anything if we wanted to. That's not profiting. That's just lazy conspiracy. Yeah, I mean, you could do better. If if you're trying to make this into a conspiracy theory, somehow tie it into scripture, there's plenty of numbers that you could get from chapters and verses. Come on, like connect this, connect this. There's so much ripe for manipulation in the Bible. We can just take verses out of context willy nilly. Come on. If seriously, if sports scores are now game in the whole conspiracy thing with profiting, what's not, what is not so. I feel like we just need to come up with our own, like, snarky faith mad libs for conspiracy theories. Just so it's easier for the profits out there to spend their BS. Cause, you know, it's hard. It's hard making the big profit bucks. It's so hard. It's hard out there, folks. Don't act like it's not. Because, because when you're out profiting, maybe you're wrong sometimes maybe 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 the uh the uh connection between you and the ether of the spiritual realm is is a little distorted and you got that just a little wrong well it's tough it's tough i mean let's go ahead and hop into robert henderson you don't remember Pastor Robert Henderson. He was the one that we had a couple episodes back crying about <laughs> the Lord, my, my president, my president, my president. <laughs> yeah, he was crying about the president in his prayer to the Lord, if you didn't kind of get that already. So now, now, after all this happened, Robert was sad. Now. Robert's mad. Because I think he's only got like two buttons on his programming. Sad idiot, mad idiot. So let's listen to whichever idiot is speaking right now. Robert.
3: So you're going to tell me that a man that has been the best friend that Christianity and the kingdom of God has had is going to be removed by God and replaced by a baby-killing socialist You're gonna tell me that God's gonna do that because President Trump didn't humble himself when all he's done has been attacked, has been attacked, has been attacked? I'd like to see them be attacked on a daily basis like he is and keep your mouth shut. I'd like to see that. Listen, oh, he didn't humble himself. Oh, really? What do you say whenever he says Jesus Christ is the most famous person on the earth?
1: come on come on i put my big boy pants on today these are my big boy britches i'm here preaching in my big boy pants come on <laughs> oh robert i love it you little bit it's so much fun and just a tiny little scotch of fun we're gonna get till the end before we hop into our main story here it's gonna be one i don't even need to say anything about it it's hank Kuhneman. And Hank Kuhneman's mad. He's so mad. He's a mad prophet. Why is Hank Kuhneman standing? Because God has spoken to
3: me, and you want to call me false, and yet I have stood, and I stand with God. I will stand with this loyalty whether you think I'm false or not. If that's what you think, then you can take your
1: opinion, and you can shove it. Actually, Hank is invoking prophet code B in this situation, the shove it mandate. Oof, that's enough prophet crazy, let's get to our main story. As I said at the top of the hour, today we're going to be descending in to the topic of Christian witness. Now after we've gone through all of these false prophets, (laughs) it's kind of time you'd hope for a palate cleanser as we begin to dig into something with a little bit more substance. But, what I want to do before we hop into that, before we hop into the substance, I've got to show you something. I've got to let you listen to something that grieved me this past week. Now, as we talk about the events of the past week or so, we begin to talk about the siege at the Capitol. We can talk about what's happened post siege at the Capitol with lots of fingers pointing everywhere or Trump going silent because if he doesn't have his Twitter, he's not going to talk anymore. Boo hoo. I, for one, have enjoyed the silence without the orange man on Twitter. <laughs> have you? And with the orange man's silence, we've also heard louder voices from the religious right calling for unity, healing, let's just kumbaya this bitch and get it going, folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What happened last week? Let's not talk about it. Let's move straight to healing because that's not how it works at all. But I could digress onto many of those Myriad of topics I've kind of just dropped bombs for What I'm really trying to do is give you a little bit of headspace Of what you're walking into today in our conversation But I want you to listen to this I'll explain it I'll explain the thing I want you to listen to And this came from the New Yorker Who had obtained a bunch of footage Of what was going on inside during the siege Now, what we're going to listen to right now is a prayer Yes They siege on in And then as the what is it the, uh, the cosplay shaman That guy Decides they all need to come before the Lord In prayer In the midst of a siege that killed people In the midst of the siege that destroyed public property They need to come together To reach out to the Lord And yes this is real And yes we're going to unpack this
3: Thanks for For this opportunity to stand up for our God given unalienable rights, thank you Heavenly Father for giving the inspiration needed to these police officers to allow us in this building, to allow us to exercise our rights, to allow us to send a message. To the tyrants, the communists, and the globalists, that this is our nation, not theirs. Yes. That we will not allow the America, the American way of the United States of America to go down. Thank you, divine, omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent creator God, for filling this chamber with your white light of love, with your white light of harmony. Thank you for filling this chamber with patriots that yes. love you and that love Christ. Thank you, divine, omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent Creator God for blessing each and every one of us here and now. Thank you, divine Creator God, for surrounding and filling us with the, your divine, omnipresent white light of love and protection, peace, and harmony. Thank you for allowing the United States of America to be reborn. Thank you for allowing us to get rid of the communists, the globalists, and the traitors within our government. We love you and we thank you. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen! Amen. Amen. Amen
1: and lord like we also thank you for making that hot chick over there you know the one who you yeah you know who you are you know who you are right right and lord thank you for making me a white male thanks so much god i appreciate you making me this man Amen. Hey man aren't we glad all of here? for what the hell was all of that what what wait a second I'm not one to critique prayers, but you know, I think this one can get a pass. I think I'll go ahead and create, I just, I, here's, here's some of here's, <laughs> here's some of what I loved about this. So, all right. They're thanking God for allowing them to send a message to the tyrants, to the communists and to the globalists of the nation. But again, we're going to repeat this ah at the end. Thank you, Lord, for <laughs> allowing us to get rid of the communists, the globalists and the traitors within our government. We love you and we thank you in Christ's holy name. What is this? And they even dropped this lovely bit earlier. They thank God for his white light and love. His white light and love. I could read into that and I will, but I won't digress on it. What like, what is this? But this is how this is how delusional things have be come now for those of you that did not grow up around christian speak and christianity when i talk about this idea of the christian witness what well, that's really seen as it's a public act of like both faith and hope intended to awaken the world uh, in belief and hope and salvation in the lord right so so it's us it's us supposedly as christians acting in such a way that the world says oh my gosh who are you following after? Your ways marvel me. It amazes me what you are doing with yourself. Because I, too, enjoy your peace. I, too, enjoy your care for trying to help, a, I mean, to help a hurting world. I care about these things. It's self-sacrificial. It's beautiful. Yeah, that's kind of what the whole idea behind Christian witness is supposed to be. I mean, in, in, in the more modern era, the witnesses, is, hey, can I talk to you? about my Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, it's become about words. It's become about words. And then we see these literal asshats, they break in. They are in the middle of a siege and they stop to pray like bro style to God for letting them break stuff and just be awesome. I love it. But that's where we're at with Christian Witness. And, and I, I, I watched this. I watched this footage, and it, and it grieved me so deeply for recognizing how deeply off-base and demented these guys are. And then, it, you know, many of you may out there say, well, Stuart, those, those, those are just some of the, the top-choice whack jobs of the group. But no, but no. If, if anyone has been following the show for any period of time, you know that the Christian Crazy, we are featuring pastors and prophets, quote, quote, air quotes, uh, that continue to speak this kind of garbage and, 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 and pass it off as Christianity. Now, now, so this is kind of like in the ether of my headspace right now. Like, this is kind of like what's going on, that. And then, if you recall, if you didn't, you should check it out. Last week's episode on the show, when I sat down with Brian Zahn and the filmmakers from Postcards from Babylon, And as we were talking about Christian Witness and where where things are kind of going in America, Brian Zahn dropped this little bomb on us, which I've been thinking about ever since he said it, because I think he's spot on.
0: I agree that Trump is a symptom, Um, but it took someone like him to turn religious right into almost a farcical cult of personality. So I I think that's eventually going to lose its steam. I think part of what happens is I think um, Christian witness in America recedes for a while. I I think we deserve to be in time out for a while. I love how he puts it,
1: (laughs) American Christianity, uh, our witness needs to be put in time out for a while because we see this. We see this. We see this this, this showing its ugly face. The ugly face of American Christianity is showing up in all of its glory filled selfishness and delusion. It showed up right in the middle of the siege at the Capitol. And, and, And if you hear that prayer, you're able to hear how misguided these individuals are to where they somehow believe that their faith. And Jesus is somehow about kicking ass and taking names. And they're proclaiming this and and calling this out to a God that I was going to say does not exist. This God that they are praying to, this God that kicks ass and takes names that they are wanting to does not exist. It's a God devoid of Jesus. Because if anyone has read the ways, and the teachings of Jesus. If anyone has any knowledge of that, we would know any kind of that ludicrousness doesn't fit at all. It doesn't, it doesn't fit. It doesn't have a home there. So, tracking you through where my brain's going. So we had Capital Siege, Idiots Praying. Brian Zahn on the show last week. And then over this past weekend, I spent time um, with, we had also Keith Giles who was on the show a couple of weeks back. Keith had had a, it was an online conference called Renew. And it was about pastoral deconstruction people that have either been in the ministry or in the ministry going through pastoral deconstruction. So my wife and I spent several hours of the last weekend kind of just chilling and listening through people's stories of deconstruction. Um, I, for both of us, actually my wife, Miriam and I have have been deconstructing for years and we wanted to do this, we wanted to kind of go through this to be able to hear other people's stories, to hear other people's words to help refine our story. And so by its literal nature of of listening through other people's stories and us pausing and talking and then resuming all of these speakers that we were paying attention to, it it, it was really kind of opening up a lot of our past of like where have we come from? Where are we now and where are we going? Kind of being able to see where our Christian path was and where it kind of trajectory? Where, you know, where, where are we headed down the field? And so I've been in like this, this, this place of introspection for a little while. And I'm going to talk a little bit about my past to kind of bring us a little bit into the present. And over my years in Christian ministry, I've worked for a Southern Baptist church. I have worked for A four square church. I've worked for an evangelistic nonprofit organization. I've worked for the United Methodist Church. I've worked for Churches of God. And I've also served in different capacities for a conservative, uh, I think it's like conservative Baptist Northwest over in uh, the Pacific Northwest area. So me growing up Baptist and me working for an evangelistic organization was all about evangelism, 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 right? It's what the Mormon boys do day in, day out, going door to door. It's what the Jehovah Witnesses do as well as vacuum cleaner salesmen of years before. <laughs> but going door to door, that idea of sharing your faith, sharing your gospel, and it's become such a huge part of, of Christianity. But the thing that, that, that I had always heard growing up was that core to sharing the gospel was this thing called your Christian witness. And in Christian terms, like your witness was kind of your currency. Your witness is your worth. And what I mean by that isn't just going out and witnessing, because that kind of became a weird term. We go out and witness, so I go out and I tell people about Jesus. I go out and tell people uh, in the Kirk Cameron and Ray Comfort way of being able to say, you're sinful, and you've fallen short of the glory of God, and, you know, without Jesus, God hates you and wants you to go to hell. But because of Jesus, if you're able to say, I'm cool with you, Jesus then God's like, all right, you get a pass. Don't go to hell. Eon, kind of that idea, right? I mean, I worked for an organization that that did this. That's that's what I did. I, I, was, I was a uh, homebound missionary, meaning that I was in the United States, but I raised money and I was a missionary and I completely operated like that for, I don't know, nine years? Nine years back in the day, yeah. And I will tell you, I've been an evangelist. I've spoken in front of... Groups of people brought people to Jesus, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, whatever that means. But for me, the longer I was, I was in an organization that was, that was explicitly about evangelism, the question that kept coming up to me is, well, we're inviting people to meet Jesus, but what are we inviting them into? And there really wasn't ever a good answer for that. Like, oh, oh, but we're like saving them. Yeah, yeah, I got you, I got you. I, I, know, I know how to get them to pray the prayer and check a box and say, yay, salvation is yours because you prayed a prayer and don't have any idea what faith is about. Yeah, yeah. But when we look at this, when we look at this whole idea since, since the beginning, since the beginning of the church, like this was drilled into my head, like Matthew 28, 16 through 20. The Great Commission. This was huge. This was huge. And it goes like this. You know, when the, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mount where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely... I'm with you always until the very end of the age. And and I feel like Christianity has been in this trajectory for a long time, right? This trajectory of going wide. You go wide, you go wide. Like for for the 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 crazier conservatives, they honestly I believe they were doing evangelism to try to tip the hand of God to bring Jesus back the idea that oh once we've evangelized every people of every tongue Jesus is coming back it's kind of like you're in one of those movies where you're like well if you just say or do this then this will happen and I recognize that made no sense in my example there. I was thinking of movies like where you're um where they have to go through like a whole series of challenges and then you have to like almost like the Goonies, you're having to go through this series of challenges and then you unlock the treasure in the end, yay! And I feel like that there's been this idea in, in Christianity that if we can finally evangelize and get everyone to know Jesus' name, then guess what? Jesus is coming home and all of you are in trouble. That's kind of been this weird, weird thing that I will tell you Baptists will say is not true. It's absolutely true. I grew up in it. I've worked for a church in it. Yes, this idea that we're somehow tipping the hand of God. But, but the thing that's happened over this time, the thing that's happened over this time, this idea where Jesus is saying, go out into the world. Go out and share this. Go out, teach them. Go out, show them. Show them this different way to live. Go and show them this. It, that, that idea of showing... Became telling. And I think at some point we lost that in Christianity. And I'm just going to get back to that again. The the showing, the living, the walking of whatever the gospel was, the walking out of the ways of Jesus and how it looks in your life, that's too hard. You know what's easy? Words. I can give you lots of words. I can explain to you the gospel, how that like sin is separating us from the Lord and all these other crazy ideas because it honestly that Christianity has turned it into a marketing mechanism. We got an answer for that. Oh, that's called apologetics. Got an answer for you. Got an answer for you. Got an answer for you. I'll answer all your questions, right? Because we end up just being a salesman. We've got a snappy message. We're trying to get people to sign on the dotted line. Our lives change. If they are, most of the time it's by accident. It's truly, that's where the spirit of God is working in the churches in America today is truly by accident. Not that God is moving by accident, but that the church is operating haphazardly and not really paying attention to the ways of God and they're doing their own thing and God happens to fill in the cracks. That's kind of my belief in that whole way of thinking. So, we got Brian on. I've got guys in the Capitol praying. I've got, I've got my story that I, I, I was unearthing over this last weekend. And, and actually, one thing that I feel like I've discovered, and, and this may just be like a typo, or it's just a way of not reading correctly, but I, I feel like a lot of conservative Christianity, a lot of evangelical Christianity is wrapped up in whiteness and not witness. And they're spelled really similarly really really similarly and if you're not like paying much attention maybe you don't have your little reading spectacles on you might miss it yes yes that we're supposed to well damn it god tells us that our whiteness is important oh i mean i mean witness our witness is important the witness whiteness witness whiteness witness whiteness witness Nah, i digress but my point my point that i wanted to really dig into a bit more today Because talking about witness, I think that we have finally come to a place where we need to reframe within Christianity, or at least American Christianity, right? We need to reframe what we say when we talk about witness. Because in the early days, in the Jesus, like, to acts towards, like, time of the first century church days, the whole idea was go big and go wide. And we've continued to do that. You've been able to see different kinds of other, let's say, power brokers in the world kind of get behind that idea of uh, evangelism and turned it more into expansion of power. Hello, Crusades. Uh, Manifest destiny. Hello, American Christianity. This idea that that people were God's chosen since they knew this and they needed to go out and fix the pagans. But since we're already using that terminology of pagans, we're already seeing them as second-class citizens. And really that just means we need to take them over to indoctrinate them so they can believe like us. That's the compulsion gospel, not the gospel of a God that does not force, does not compel does not do any of those things because I'm going to get prophetic here. And by prophetic, I'm really just joking. I hear all these guys that we make fun of in the Christian crazy use the word prophecy. God speaks all this other kind of stuff. I'm not going to call this prophecy. Sometimes you can also read the word prophecy for being able just to see things clearly for what, (laughs) for what needs to happen now. Uh, So if for someone to see something clearly, and I think it's not just me, um, if Christianity has gone wide for so long and going so far wide in trying to spread the gospel, whatever that has meant, means the gospel and Christianity has become tainted and it has become twisted and it has become subjugated to other movements, uh, political powers, or et cetera, et cetera, right? I actually believe that, especially after this age of Trump, much like Brian had said that we need a timeout, my gut would tell me, it's going to be a while. So that Christianity now needs to focus more on its deeds, what it is doing. And yes, I'm not trying to say this is a workspace type of faith. No. What I'm trying to say is that the way witness is going to move forward right now, especially after all that's happened, is by people seeing you live it out. Are you embodying the ways and teachings of Jesus? Or, or, or do you have a humble spirit and a humble heart? Do you, do you reach out to your neighbors who help them? Or are we doing these types of things? Like these types of mundane things. They're not sexy. They're not going to other countries to spread the gospel. No, no, it's you just being a decent human and not being an asshole to your neighbor. It's, it's you learning about who is hurting in my community and who needs my help, Right. So I'm going to tell you, I feel that we are in a period now where Christianity needs to go narrow and Christianity needs to shut its mouth. And And I love this quote, and it's often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, which is not, he did not say this. It's attributed to him, and it's a great statement, and I'll just continue to have it be in congruence with him. It'll be near him. But uh, the phrase, preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. So one more time, preach the gospel to all times when necessary, use words. Now that is not St. Francis's quote, but he echoed this with much of his life. And I'm going to spend just a little time with you very briefly. Let's have some story time. So I had gotten this book uh, a while back. Uh, It's called Holy Troublemakers and Unconventional Saints by um, Danine Ackers, And there's a chapter on St. Francis. I got this for my kids and beyond grandkids to be able to have stories to tell of people that they should be listening to about different kinds of saints, different kinds of people that were bringing the good kind of trouble, if you know what I mean. So I'm going to read an excerpt about the life of St. Francis. And I want to do this in a way that makes us kind of think a little bit deeper about Christian witness. So let's just listen to his life. Here we go. St. Francis of Assisi is one of the most popular saints, widely known for his love of animals and his advocacy for the poor. However, Francis was an unlikely prospect for a saint when he was first born in 1182 in Assisi, Italy. Francis's father was a wealthy cloth merchant. Francis grew up with every luxury available at the time. And people of Assisi knew him as one of the popular young men who loved a good party. He and his friends often woke up in the town with their late night singing. Francis especially loved troubadour music, a style of singing with themes of chivalry and courtly love. Along with other wealthy men of Assisi, Francis dreamed of winning the glories on a battlefield as a knight. His chance to go to battle came in 1202, when the city of Assisi and nearby Perugia went to war. Francis' father bought him an expensive new coat of armor. Francis cheerfully rode off to battle. However, Francis soon came across a knight on the road with a rusty, clunky armor. Moved by the older man's plight, Francis gave the knight his new armor. Francis' dreams of glory in battle did not turn out that glorious. All of the pain and suffering he saw on the battlefield made him question the point of violence. He was captured and put into prison where he stayed for over a year until his father could work out the details of a ransom. Francis became weak and ill while in prison, and it took him a long time to recover. When his health returned, he went to battle again. And at that time the Pope was fighting a series of wars against Muslims and warned all Christian knights to go to war for the church. You might hear someone refer to these wars as the Crusades, but some Muslim scholars refer to them as the Frankish aggression. Somehow, the men in charge of the Catholic Church, the only Christian church at the time, had decided that Jesus wanted his followers to force people to convert to Christianity or be killed, even though Jesus had spent his entire public ministry preaching nonviolence and peaceful methods of sharing the loving values of God's kingdom. But on his way to battle, Francis fell ill again. And this time, he had a vision directing him to serve God and not other people. Francis went home to pray and meditate. He felt God telling him to serve the poor. It was his calling. Not long afterwards, when Francis was walking near his hometown, he heard a sound. Ding-a-ding, Francis froze. It was the bell of a leper. At that time, leprosy scared people because it caused a slow and painful death and was thought to be very contagious. People feared it so much that the lepers had to wear a bell to warn people of their presence. Usually, Francis turned around and walked away from the ring of a leper's bell. But on this day, Francis walked towards the leper. He asked the surprised man if he could embrace him as a brother. The man agreed. Despite his shock, that anyone wanted to touch him as they embraced a deep sense of joy filled Francis Francis apologized to the man for how often he had turned away to avoid him in the past. The man led Francis to a nearby leper colony where the people with the illness were forced to live. Francis embraced everyone and went home to bring back food and clothing. He continued to go back and to nurse the men and women affected with leprosy over the years. All of this made Francis's father angry. Giving alms to the poor is one thing, he shouted. But you are giving away money from my business. Fine cloth from my store. And you're not learning how to run a profitable business. This argument grew more and more heated. And eventually, Francis denounced his inheritance in front of the town elders. He even stripped naked, handing his father all his clothes. Here are my earthly clothes. That you've given me, he said to his father. Now I only serve God. He walked away naked to a little church nearby that was in ruins. The priest gave him a coarse robe to wear, and Francis tied it with a rope. And ironically, having no possessions gave Francis a deeper sense of wealth and freedom that he'd never known before. Francis set to work, set to work repairing the little church, helping anyone who came in, begging for food for his daily meals, And living a simple life and in time others saw how much joy francis had in his life of poverty and service and they began to join him i talk about saint francis to be able to kind of rejigger our consciousness back into what christianity is supposed to be about get rid of the politics that was never meant to be there strip all this other facade and artifice down, get rid of it. If you get down to the barest, barest, barest nature of this, it's about loving God and loving others. And the act of love, especially how we have like manipulated this in America so much to thinking that I love a hamburger, I love a taco, I love to watch football. No, but recapturing that idea of love as an action word and, and connecting love to witness, I think, is key to any person that is trying to walk in the ways of Jesus. So your witness is what people see you doing. Who do they see you are? What does your life speak to others? Now, it's easy for us to listen to these crazy-ass prophets that we've listened to at the beginning of the hour, right? It's fun to make fun of them. I do it because I just think it's funny. But those, those, those are not prophets. Those are not people that are walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Those are charlatans and salesmen and women. To be able to see what the life of a follower looks like, we have to look at what kind of fruit do they have there? What is the byproduct of their words and preaching? If you see no byproduct, then you say, (laughs) enough of you, I shall move away. Because I do think, I do think there is space for our faith to speak to politics. Not to be in politics, but to speak to politics. And on this day that I'm recording this, this day where we remember Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., I'm reminded of words he said that feel prophetic today, today. And, and so here's an excerpt from letter from a Birmingham jail. And I feel like it fits a lot here now. He said, perhaps it's easy for those who have never felt the sting of darts of segregation to say, wait, but when you have seen the vicious mobs lynch your mothers and fathers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim, and you've seen the hate-filled policemen curse, kick, and even kill your black brothers and sisters, then you understand why we find it difficult to wait. He later continued on saying this, I must confess that over the past few years, I've been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I've almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's greatest stumbling block in his stride towards freedom is not the white citizens' council or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate, who is devoted to order, who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action, who paternalistically believes he can set a timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by a mythical concept of time, and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. His words speak truth then, they speak truth now. Let me contextualize it for now. Well, you know, both sides, both sides, right? Both sides, both sides. Or, hey, what about in the summer? There was rioting. That's pretty much the same thing as what happened at the Capitol. Why were you not mad back then? It's a huge difference. People crying out for civil rights versus people saying, I don't like the way the election went. I don't like it, so I want to overturn an election. That's Christianity. That's American Christianity. That was American Christianity that was praying in the Capitol building. If Christianity cares about witness, if they really care about witness. My call to Christianity is, hey, guess what the world is watching? The world is watching. How are you responding? Are you throwing like a little like white temper tantrum? Oh, American Christianity's not getting my way. Hmm that's your witness. That's your witness. Being hateful, that's your witness. See, my problem, one of the reasons I, 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 have, no, I have no problem, I have no problem on my conscience with ripping these fake prophets all the time and making fun of them on the show. Why? Because I feel like, honestly, they do a huge disservice to the work of Jesus, to the kingdom of God. They make us assume that the way that we spread the gospel is on stage with a microphone. They coerce us into thinking that we need to pay other people to spread the word of God. They take the work of the gospel out of the hands of Christians, where we're supposed to be living this day in and day out, not giving a tract to your neighbor, but being Jesus to your neighbor not taking out your coworker to share the gospel with them, but being Jesus to your neighbor when they need help. My problem with these modern-day prophets is they're full of crap. If you look at their lives, they don't look like the lives of Jesus. They look like lives of opulence. If you want to see a prophet, look at their actions. I feel like it's a great day for us to continue to reflect on the actions and the words of Martin Luther King Jr. He was a prophet who gave his life to a cause of justice. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to let his prophetic words, we're going to be listening to an excerpt from his Beyond Vietnam speech. It speaks clearly to today and continues to be applicable and to speak truth. So what I'm going to do, what I usually do at the end of the show, I'm going to go ahead and send you off here. I'm going to send you out into the world to be a prophet, to walk in the ways of Jesus, to make changes and differences in people's lives, to show up when people need you to show up, It doesn't have to be big stuff. It doesn't have to mean you're on a stage. It just means you're present. And sometimes that's a miracle in itself to other people. So I send you out into this wild and crazy world with the holiest amount of grace and peace and snark. And let the words of Martin Luther King Jr. wash over you speak truth to you, and to challenge you to walk your witness out, to walk your way of life out in a way that helps this world, no matter how big or small, because that is what we're called to do. So here are the words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Peace! I'll catch you guys next week. The
2: time has come for America to hear the truth about this tragic war. I've chosen to preach about the war in Vietnam today because I agree with Dante that the hottest places in hell are reserved for those who, in a period of moral crisis, maintain their neutrality. There comes a time when silence is betrayal, even when pressed by the demands of inner truth. Men do not easily assume the task of opposing their government's policy, especially in time of war. Now, of course, one of the difficulties in speaking out today grows out of the fact There are those who are seeking to equate dissent with disloyalty, it's a dark day in our nation when high-level authorities will seek to use every method to silence dissent. there is at the outset a very obvious and almost facile connection between the war in Vietnam and the struggle I and others have been waging in America, of a society gone mad on war. And I knew that America would never invest the necessary funds or energies in rehabilitation of its poor, so long as adventures like Vietnam continue to draw men and skills and money like some demonic, destructive suction tube. And you may not know it, my friends, but it is estimated that we spend $500,000 to kill each enemy soldier while we spend only $53 for each person classified as poor. And much of that $53 goes for salaries to people who are not poor. So I was increasingly compelled to see the war as an enemy of the poor and attack it as such. Perhaps a more tragic recognition of reality took place when it became clear to me that the war was doing far more than devastating the hopes of the poor at home. It was sending their sons and their brothers and their husbands to fight and die in extraordinarily high proportion. Relative to the rest of the population, we were taking the black young men who had been crippled by society and sending them 8,000 miles away to guarantee liberties in Southeast Asia, which they had not found in southwest Georgia and East Holland so we have been repeatedly faced with the cruel irony of watching Negro and white boys on TV screens as they kill and die together for a nation that has been unable to seat them together in the same schoolroom. And I knew that I could never again raise my voice against the violence of the oppressed in the ghettos without having first spoken clearly to the greatest purveyor of violence in the world today, my own government. There's something strangely inconsistent about a nation and a press that will praise you when you say, be nonviolent toward Jim Clark, but will curse and damn you when you say, be nonviolent toward little brown Vietnamese children. There will be no meaningful solution until some attempt is made to know these people and hear their broken cry. A nation that continues year after year to spend more money on military defense than on programs of social uplift is approaching spiritual death. And our only hope today lies in our ability to recapture the revolutionary spirit and go out into a sometimes hostile world, declaring eternal hostility to poverty, racism, and militarism. Let me say finally that I oppose the war in Vietnam because I love America. I speak out against this war not in anger. But with anxiety and sorrow in my heart, and above all with a passionate desire to see our beloved country stand as the moral example of the world, I speak out against this war because I am disappointed with America. And there can be no great disappointment where there is no great love. I'm disappointed with our failure to deal positively and forthrightly with the triple evils of racism, economic exploitation, and militarism. We are presently moving down a dead-end road that can lead to national disaster. It is time for all people of conscience to call upon America to come back home. God has a way of standing before the nations with judgment. And it seems that I can hear God saying to America, you are too arrogant. I haven't lost faith because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. We shall overcome because the Bible is right. You shall reap what you sow with this faith. We will be able to speed up the day when all over the world we will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Men will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nations will not rise up against nations, neither shall they study war anymore and I don't know about you I ain't gonna study war no more